Hello, everybody. Welcome into the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News Sports Podcast. Ballsy. I am Kevin Sherrington. Did you say that in one breath? That's a that's a long. That's a lot. That's yeah. a lot. I took a big breath. I'm Barry Horn, and joining us from the couch uh, in his lovely abode in Flower Mound, Evan Grant. Evan, how's it going there? Uh, so far, so good, gentlemen. Evan is prepping for a, a procedure that he has been looking forward to for years now. He's going to have. Is this your first colonoscopy, Evan? Oh no, Kevin! I'm. Uh, I, I think this is the one that I get for free. I think. <laughs> so what you're saying is you have these because you enjoy them. Yes, it's it's one of my hobbies, um, <laughs> the colonoscopy. Um, no, I, I will, on a very serious note, I will just bring everybody down and say I urge everybody to get their their colonoscopies when they reach uh, a certain right. age. I think some people say 40, some people say 50. I, of course, because of um, my Crohn's and colitis, I get to have them, um, have been able to have them since I was 17. So uh, it's, a, it's a fun thing that I look forward to, like every two years, and... Um, I expect I'll lose a lot of weight, and I get to sample some magnesium citrate today, so it's all good. In, in, in all seriousness, I am glad you're doing this, and I am glad you're talking about it. It is a very important thing to do, and people put it off, and they say it's awful. It's really not awful. They knock you out. Uh, it's it, the, the preparation is the worst part for it, but uh, but I'm glad you are doing it. Glad you're talking about it. You have made a, a great case about this story with Jake Diekman. Uh, who, of course, uh, his problems led him to have a completely new uh, digestive system put in uh, this last year, and he's made a comeback from that. And so uh, we do applaud you for, for doing this and talking about it. I think it's a good thing. Well, thank you. I'll be right back. i got to use the restroom. <laughs> and, as, as, as long as we're talking about this, too, I just want to have everybody make sure you get your shingle shot. Your shingle shot. I've had my shingle shot. We're, we're, we're going to, to the uh, the demographic that nobody in broadcasting cares about. Yeah. Guys like really us. Yeah. Shingle shots and get your orthotics to it. <laughs> well, no, I'm not going that far. All right. In this episode of the Scintillating Ballsy Podcast, we're going to do what we like to call in the business an evergreen uh, type of podcast in which we are going to discuss our three favorite sports Memories. Each one of us. Each one three. of us has three uh, that, that were determined by ourselves. We didn't have to consult with anybody on these. And the two will be professional. One will be personal. Well, you t- well, you told me I had to do a personal one. I did. Yeah. So uh, yeah. we. Well, Evan wanted to do one as well. Okay. Well, I have a good one. Yeah. Sure. Best one. So I have the we're best one. so we're gonna do that. So we're gonna we're gonna do this in a little rounds. We're gonna go one. Each of us is gonna do one at a time. And we're gonna start with Evan since he's had time to think about this because uh, he's not thinking about anything else uh, <laughs> right now. So Evan, you're gonna go first, and we're gonna start with your professional or it doesn't have to be professional college, whatever, whatever it was that you covered. That was your one of your favorite sports memories. Well, I, because we're limited to two here, I guess I'll go straight to the um, to the heart, and I guess I'll bring everybody down. But uh, it, it's it's not going to have a game six in it, is it? Absolutely. Oh um, no! I, I think that it was as crazy and uh, gut wrenching and emotion field of a baseball game as you could ever um, experience. You know, I, I experienced game seven of the 91 World Series 
covering the Braves at the time and had grown up as a Braves fan, and obviously there was some personal experience there um, and some personal and uh, I was personally invested. But um, Game 6 of the 2011 World Series, with the twists and turns over the last few innings, uh, the Josh Hamilton home run that we all just thought was the poetic end to, to the season, uh, watching that all take place and thinking that the Rangers had just won the World Series. And then you have the other set of emotions of, oh, my God, this is not happening as you watch the ball go over Nelson Cruz's head. It was, it's not what Rangers fans will ever want to remember as their number one memory but it will go down as one of the most dramatic baseball games in history, and it will go down as one of the kinds of games that you will always remember uh, some very detailed aspect of. Evan, are you, t- are you talking about that game as a guy who was on deadline at the time, writing about that, having to really do a, a 180? I almost said 360, but that would have taken back. You had to do a 180 on, on what you were going to write, or are you talking about as a, a, a somebody who lives in, in Dallas-Fort Worth and, and knew the effect that would have? I, well, I, I think from, listen, it doesn't really matter what the what our situation was on deadline. I do remember just looking at everybody in the press box after the Hamilton home run and, and seeing the astonishment and, and the, uh, the kind of um, nodding of, okay, yeah, this is just what it was all supposed to be. But I do think for Ranger fans, and, and I've, you know, the running joke on Twitter is, uh, it's too soon anytime you mention anything about Game 6. And it'll always be something that, whether the hurt is real or whether there's appreciation for what they watched and, and just some disappointment in how it ended, it's always going to stick with them. Uh, and so I, I think it, it serves on both purposes because... Right. You always want to write about a dramatic game, but, you know, it, it also was the kind of game that you did have to really change directions in very late. Here's what I remember uh, about that, because I, I, too, was at that game. You were sitting on the front row with Tim, your your best friend, uh, and I was sitting on the second row. Tim who? Kalashaw. Okay, be- and so uh, I went down, and we were, of course, discussing what we were going to write, and you guys were both saying – well, we're going to write about what a great game this was. This is a really great game. And I said, I think, I think we're missing the point here. Uh, the, the fans back in Dallas-Fort Worth will not think this is a great thing. They will think this is a disaster that they lost this game. And I think you're exactly right. It was a great game for all the reasons you said. Um, I, I can remember I did not actually see Josh Hamilton's home run. I heard it. I had my head down, and I was – typing at that point I heard a crack I look up the ball is disappearing over the fence I didn't even know who had hit it until I saw Josh Hamilton rounding first base going to second and at that point I shelved the lead I was I had and changed it to the good idea one. yeah and then you had to shelve that oh I did when you said 360 you're right I there was a 360 involved in all that I, I changed that lead about three different times but it was an, an unbelievable it isn't you know I it is certainly one of the biggest games uh that i've uh, ever covered when it when we talk about uh i mean i, I covered uh you know five slam and jamma losing to north carolina state um i was there when uh kirk gibson hit a home run in 1988 it's one of the most famous home runs in in playoff history uh so i've seen some big games and that's certainly right up there 
So, Evan, uh, we're going to move on, so we're going to get all this in. So we're going to go to the next one. So, Barry, you go next. What's, well, your, what's your favorite or what's one of your three favorite memories? Well, I think I've covered two soccer games in my life. Yeah. I was at the World Cup Finals in 1986. I really? Germany beat... Uh, France. Argentina, I, I think. Because I, I remember Maradona was involved. But, and I think I've covered one hockey game in my life. Yeah. Written the game story or, or whatever in a hockey game. And that was game six, right, of the 1999 Stanley, Stanley Cup, Cup Finals. finals. Uh, you were sitting right next to me, I, I think. I was sitting next to you, but th- that, that's, that wasn't the highlight. No. The no. highlight was, was of was course. It, was the highlight when we ate that same uh, The Anchor Buffalo Bar. Week, the, the Anchor, anchor bar, bar in Buffalo. We ate there like four times. We ate there. But, no, that wasn't the highlight. The highlight was getting there because if you remember, uh, it was a Saturday night. Game started Saturday night, ended Sunday morning. I left Dallas Saturday morning. And uh, I got on 635 on the way to the airport for like a 7 a.m. flight and ran into a traffic jam. Oh. A traffic jam <laughs> on a Saturday morning on 635. Uh, an 18-wheeler had o- overturned. And so I thought, oh, my God, I'm not going to get there. <laughs> you would have been fired. You would not be here today if that had happened. Well, it's a good thing. It's a good thing that we aren't uh, talking about traffic jams today because apparently I would have had a little bit of a hard time getting to the office for this with the grenade that apparently was loose on I-35. Oh, you're kidding. Was there a grenade loose? Oh, I I was wondering what that was. That must have fallen out of my car. Oh, my God. On I-35 at the Royal and Walnut Hill, uh, (sighs) somewhere on Royal and Walnut Hill. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. But I'll never forget that, getting stuck on 635. Uh, of course, this is pre-George uh, Bush, and getting stuck on 635 at 6.30 in the morning or 6 o'clock in the morning thinking, how am I going to explain I missed the flight? But anyway, that game, it, it, I think it's the only hockey game story, or I wrote the 1A story that day. Uh, it was kind of a game story. And then the unusual thing was, back in those days, before uh, we were so digital, digitalized, if you missed the deadline, you missed the deadline. And... Uh, the game was going so late, and uh, what, I think it went to three overtimes, that at one point I just started rooting for overtime so we'd miss the deadline so I wouldn't have to write for the next morning. <laughs> only Barry is rooting next, for that. The next morning's paper. And then I got the bad news. They were holding the paper. We held the paper. The Fort Worth Star-Telegram did not hold. We, we, we were held, the only we one. We the, broke that story <laughs> we, we broke in that this story. market. So, we broke the fact that the, that the Stars had won the So it's stand, like 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning in Buffalo, and then uh, Hull, of course, scores, and then there's the controversy over Even though the, his, his blade was in the his crease. His blade was in the crease, and that was it. But, but that was the only championship, world championship, Stanley Cup final game story I've ever written that included a Dallas team. Is that right? Yeah, because— You did not I, write I, about any of the Cowboys, though? I didn't write the game story, no. You didn't write any of the 1A stories? No. Are you sure? You wonder, you, Are you trying to— Dig, dig, dig it in. Yes, I, 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 I did not, not. Not the Mavericks either. Uh, no, no, okay. no. That's the only one. You want to ask the question again? No, I'm just making sure. This is what we I do for a living. You, we try you, to make you're sure. You're making me feel smaller and smaller and smaller. Well, I did write. The, I did write the, the game story when the or the one A story when the Rangers won the AL pennant. I did write that, okay. but not the World Series. Gotcha. So that that'd be my number one. Anyway, we were we were really showing our hockey expertise in that series, weren't we? <laughs> I was writing the chatter column. Uh, I love chatter. A goofball call, a goofball chatter column, which was fun, but it was not a lot of hockey expertise. Uh, uh, Kevin, what is your number one? I'm not going to say number one. 
I, what, I have what is your top? Right. I will say it's, it's one of my top what three. Are you gonna, what's going to be your top? If we're talking about favorite memories, because as I mentioned earlier, I, I covered the for the Houston Post the five slam and jam a loss to North Carolina. I was State there, in too. I you was there, there, too. too. Uh, but that's not a favorite memory. I mean, you know, those guys, if they had won that game, that would have been a fitting end to that uh, for, for Guy Lewis to have that championship and for a, for a team that was really a bunch of good guys. And and played a really exciting kind of basketball. So that was kind of a, that was a sad ending. Uh, much like the the game six was not the ending, but it was effectively the ending for for them. So I I, I can't say that. I, uh, most of the, I don't. I've covered nine Olympics. I, I, I enjoyed all of them. They're all fun. Um, they all kind of tend to run together a little bit. Uh, I, I can't say anything there. I'd have to say, uh, and even though. Uh, um, I was uh, I was not at the uh, the Mavericks uh, when they won uh, the the final game. Twenty eleven, uh, uh, yeah, twenty eleven to win that series. Uh, but uh, I was in at the Rose Bowl when Texas beat USC, and I remember thinking uh, as Vince Young is running across the goal line, the thought that hit my head was, I, I can't believe it. Texas has actually won a national championship, first time in thirty five years. Uh, you know, that's a long time, and to. To think that was a game that lived up to the hype. Um, there are a few games that I've ever seen at that level that really did uh, play up to the hype. Because, you know, USC was being talked about as one of the greatest teams in the history of college football. And, and of course, they had Texas, two Heisman Trophy winners on that team. They did. And, uh, and Texas was obviously a very good team. Everybody knew that. You know, it was loaded with great players. Uh, so everybody was expecting it to be a really good game. It was, in fact, a really good game. And then uh, just the – just a scene of, of watching Vince run. As a matter of fact, when uh, I was watching the Cowboys game the other day, I, I tweeted out uh, a reference that Dak scored a touchdown, looked very much like V.Y. running across the goal line there at the end. So that's a, that's one of my favorite memories is just that and you know, game. You know, Kevin, I think one thing that is, we could do a segment on this too is um, venues, but I, I think the fact that that game was at the Rose Bowl. I didn't cover that game, but I did cover the uh, Texas-Alabama matchup a couple of years later. Um, and I, I just don't know that there's a better setting for a uh, big-time sporting event than the Rose Bowl. And I never would have I, I said that until I, I actually went into that stadium. But it's a beautiful stadium. It's a beautiful environment. 100,000 people in there. I, I the sidelines are all that, great, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's just a great venue for a great game, and I think that does add to um, that does add to the aura a little bit. Uh, absolutely, you know that, and that's the you know funny you should mention that because you, you, when you're in the Rose Bowl, you don't look at it and go, oh "My gosh, this place is massive." It doesn't look that big uh, because of the way it's designed. Because it's the bowl, I yeah, mean, it goes down. But it, 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 to be able to get a hundred thousand people in, a, in a, something that does just you know, does not that it's not that big. One of the reasons they built it that way so you could see, still see outside, yeah, and, and see the the beauty of, of that area up there. That's that is a really cool thing. But I just want to say, I, I went to that game as a fan. I sat at a seat uh, in a seat that didn't have a back, and that's tough. <laughs> no! Oh my god! Let's get you a purple heart, can we? No, can that, we? That, it's, it's hard to sit there for four hours with 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 no well, no, 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 we, no we can't leave oh back. Oh my god! This is hard for Papa. Okay. This is 
Barry's memoir, I went to the greatest football game of all time, and boy, did my back hurt. <laughs> yes, it's all, it's, all, it's, all, it's all about me. But I do want to say something about something Kevin mentioned. That Phi Slamma Jamma team in 1983 and 1984, people looked at that team and they thought that those were the nicest guy, bunch of guys I have ever covered. The, the 83 team, a, a better group because when Clyde, Clyde, left, Clyde was Clyde there. had such a great impact on the Clyde Drexler. But Hakeem was, was great. Yeah, he was not as great as he is now. No, uh, he, he, was, he was good if you knew how to talk. to. If well, you, he got drawn aside by, by, by the Benny Anders group a yeah, little bit. But, but, he, but he was great in 83. And they had a guy named Mr. Mean, Larry Meshaw, who was mm. the nicest guy in the world. Yeah, he's great. You know, one of the things I loved about Larry was one time I asked him, he had a homemade tattoo on his, up on his uh, shoulder. And I, and I said, so, Larry, is that, a, is that an anchor? And he, he looks at me with disdain, and he goes, it's a 747. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, who would put that kind of tattoo on themselves anyway? It's unbelievable. So anyway, that was those were uh, really fun teams to cover, and I was I was uh, I was sorry to see them uh, lose like that. It was there was disbelief, and that was a thing I, I think about is the end of the Texas USC game is the ending. You know, it's like disbelief, right? And then there was disbelief at the end of that Houston North Carolina State game because in my I was sitting even with the ball coming down, and I thought, oh, that ball's it's it's an air ball. I could tell it was an air ball halfway there. It's going to hit and go out of bounds, and then all of a sudden. Lorenzo Charles grabs it out of midair and dunks it. I didn't even know it was Lorenzo Charles. I thought it was Kozel McQueen. You didn't know it was minutes. Josh Hamilton. You didn't know no, it was. No, I don't I never know what's going on you, in these sh- games. That was that all happened very fast at yeah, the end of that game. It did. And th- and that game came on the heels of one of the great games I've ever seen. You in, in you consider putting that in your little list? I, I did. The Louisville uh Houston. Houston semifinal game, which is why everybody thought that they would just come out. The Cougars would cu- just come out and kill. Right. But then again, you know, you should think about that, too. Yeah. You just played a game like that, right? So what are the chances you're going to play another one? You you're, know? you're right. Evan, let's go, let's go to round two of this. Round two, Evan, you're up. Well, round two is kind of a hybrid for me because it's both personal and professional. And um, it is just a regular, everyday Ranger game um, in June of 2011 um, when I got to take my dad to his final baseball game and write about it. And... Um, I've never had a story that resonated with people as much as as that story did because we knew my dad didn't have a whole lot of time left. And, and uh, fortunately, the Rangers schedule allowed for, for us to go to Atlanta that weekend. It also happened to be Father's Day weekend. And um, uh, I was able to take him to the stadium, sit with him for – he was able to sit there for about five innings. His, his eyesight wasn't great, but he kept asking questions about – I, I still remember, and this was in June of 2011, he said that Nelson Cruz, he can hit a little bit, can he? I still remember <laughs> that question. And I, I guess if I had been prescient, I would have said, yeah, well, we'll see how he feels the ball when it comes time. Um, but that that story, um, I haven't written a whole lot of things in my life. I've been very fortunate to write about play things. I haven't written about things that have moved people emotionally. And to know that that story still does move some people emotionally and that people got something out of it. And and for me to be able to share that experience with my dad, knowing this was going to be his last game and that we could do it as, as, as peers and that I could kind of repay the favor to him of him introducing baseball to me when I was five and, and walking me hand in hand to what was in Atlanta Fulton County Stadium and, and I could take him and, and kind of be his caregiver this time around 
it just really completed a cycle for me, and it it um, it still does make me a little bit emotional every time I think about it. Kevin, you go next because I'm I'm not coming after that. Yeah, that's pretty tough. And you know, I, I do want to say when you talk about the reaction of people, I I, I kept an email uh, for a long. I still have it. Uh, I wrote a story about uh, Ray Johnston, who was a um, a summer league maverick. Uh, he went to the University of Alabama. Really nice kid, who uh, had uh, leukemia, and um, and he was. They said the last rites over him. I think two or three times. And Donnie Nelson uh, was in his hospital bedside many times, uh, but went in one time when when Ray was doing a little bit better, and uh, and they and they, you know, Ray hadn't even couldn't even speak. And he said, all right, on, on the, there was a couple other people there. And he said, all right, everybody, we're going to one, two, three, Mavericks, all right? And he said, one, two, three, and then Ray said, Mavericks. Uh, and so he made this unbelievable comeback, and he is alive today. He sings in a band. He, he does great things. He's just a, it's an unbelievable story. Wow. And then I, but uh, the thing was that I, uh, the day after it actually, He's actually going to be singing the anthem at the Mavericks game on the 16th. Is that right? And um, I believe he's going to be at sundown at the granada on november 18th yeah he's so a if people want to go see ray they can but yeah he's very active still he's, he's a great kid there. but what i got was an email from a man uh and i won't go over the whole email but it was uh his he he wrote to tell me that it was early in the morning he'd read this story it's five o'clock in the morning he's having a bad day his son had been killed at uh, outside a, a dry cleaners he was opening up the dry cleaners and somebody came up behind him and shot him in the head and uh, he was talking about how he just couldn't understand how that could happen to such a fine, beautiful young man. And, uh, and he said, you know, and then this morning I read that story, and it, and it occurred to me that, that some lives were meant to, to end sadly and some were meant to, to end beautifully. And the last lines of the email were, I feel better now. And so, you know, for, to, to me, uh, that, that, that reply meant as much to me as anything that I've ever gotten from anybody at any time. Uh, to have someone say that after such a tragic loss that it gave him some comfort. That, that, that made me feel good. So, hey, Kevin, I just, I understand before, before, before Barry goes, I just want to, uh, you also got a great opportunity, I think, to be able to write a column about your own son playing high school football. And, uh, and we might get to that in a minute. We might get that in a minute. But that was not my favorite memory. I want to go to my next story. I was, I was split on this one uh, about whether to talk about when I was uh, in Houston, still in college, and I was stringing games for UPI. Y'all, y'all, uh, a lot of listeners may not remember UPI. That was the alternative to Associated Press. And it was my very first game uh, to cover for UPI in the Astrodome. And, uh, and Ken Forsh was pitching for the Astros. Um, and in that game, uh, he ended up throwing a no-hitter. So this is my very first game, stringing this game for UPI, and the guy throws a no-hitter. The guy who was the bureau chief for the uh, for UPI. in Houston for UPI, Gary Taylor, was kept calling me every couple of innings, asking me what was going on. He was at a Rockets game, and uh, and he was just as nervous as anything that he'd sent this kid out here to cover was going to be a no-hitter. Um, and it turned out everything turned out just fine. They sent me uh, UPI sent me an extra fifty bucks for my coverage. They thought it was such a fabulous job. And on the way out of the stadium, I'm walking out. The, the, in those days at the Astrodome, the, the back dock exit was taken by everybody, uh, media and players alike. 
So they smelled were, like a circus yeah, too. Well, it was pretty bad. And down there, so there are all these fans down there waiting, and and so you know you would always have to say to them, you know, no, no, I'm not. I'm just a you know just a, a sports writer. And People so, thought you were a baseball well, player. I was young, and uh, you know, and uh, looked a lot younger back then. And, and so anyway, the, when I when I came out, uh, I heard this, and I had already gone past a group and said that too. No, no. And I and I walked on, and I was a good fifty yards out, and then I heard a kid running up behind me, and uh, and he grabs my arm and pulls me around and hands, and shoves a baseball at me. I thought. I don't want to. I don't want to hurt this little kid's did, feelings. Did you write Ken Forge's name? Like I did not write Ken Forge's name. You know what I wrote on there? No, Blackie Thomas. <laughs> well, there's some kid out there who has a baseball on it that says Blackie Thomas. Hey, that might be the only signed Blackie Thomas baseball in America. It's probably worth like yes, a worth millions, millions of dollars. Of dollars. People are saying, more, than, Blackie Thomas? More, more than the Honus Wagner baseball card. Yeah, I was I thinking think. of Blackie Sherrod, but I couldn't sign Blackie Sherrod. I, I, I went Blackie, but I couldn't go the whole way. I didn't want to drag Blackie into that whole that whole sordid affair. So anyway, that was a that was a great moment. For me. It probably resonates with me a little more because I was young when it happened. Uh, but it was pretty fun covering a no hitter. That's the only no hitter. You know, I've written a thousand stories about Nolan Ryan, but I never covered any of his no hitters. I wasn't there for any of those. I was there for his five thousandth win and for his I mean five thousand strikeout, his no. three hundredth win. Uh, those, uh, but I was not there for any of the no hitters. Evan, did you cover any of Nolan's no hitters? I did not cover any of Nolan's no-hitters. I have covered two no-hitters in my lifetime. One was, um, uh, one I'll, I'll never forget either one, but one of them was very weird. I was covering the Marlins at the time, and, um, well, I've covered three no-hitters, one of them against the Rangers, Mark Burley's against the Rangers. Um, but I was covering the Marlins at the time, and it was the same day that, uh, that Value Jet's flight from Miami uh, had crashed into the Everglades, and it was just a horrible day. And that night, Al Leiter pitched a no-hitter for the Marlins. Um, and it was hard to really, it was such a draining day emotionally for so many people, it was hard to really get up the excitement that, that you could for, for a no-hitter. Um, the other one was a combined no-hitter for the for the Braves in 91. Um, and uh, I believe it was Pete Smith. Um, Mark Wohlers, and I forget who else was involved in that, but um, my memory's starting to wane on that one. That'll happen to you, Evan, especially as you get a little... It's a combined over I, I, I remember this, that there was a play in the ninth inning where Terry Pendleton had to charge a ball, and it probably should have been a hit, but was ruled an error, So, but uh, it kept a no-hitter intact. We're all for that. There all right, go. Barry... Round two for you. Okay, well, I'm gonna. This is a good transition because I'm gonna go from a note from your your talk of no hitters, which I've never seen, to one of the most hit filled events I've ever seen: the Hagler Hearns fight. Hagler Hearns. It was back in 1995. I was the boxing writer back then. Yes, you were. Before you became the boxing writer. No, no I was the, before that. For wasn't the it? Dallas Morning News. I don't know. Uh, oh yeah, I think I was briefly the boxing writer. You were, you were my editor. Yeah, and 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 I that's right. I was back as the boxing writer be- yeah. after you you kind of blew that. Up. But that that was the most incredible fight I've ever seen in my life. And I've been to I was at the bite fight. I was at fan, the fan man fight. I you know after the bite fight, which I, I may switch to the bite fight in the, in the middle of this. No kidding. I, I think I would go with that. When one. Mike Tyson actually bit yeah. off. A piece of Evander Holyfield's ear, but after the after the fight, I was having dinner, post-fight dinner with Dave Anderson, the Pulitzer Prize-winning columnist of the New York Times, and all of a sudden, 
what we thought was a gunshot went off. I believe it was at the MGM. Uh, uh, it might have been at the Mandalay Bay, but I think it was at MGM. And all of a sudden, everybody is under the table. And I'm under the table. at It was Wolfgang Pucks with Dave Anderson. And all I'm thinking of is, and I know how this works. In every newspaper across America, <laughs> there's going to be a story that said, Pulitzer Prize winning columnist Dave Anderson was shot last night at, uh, you know, in the wake of the fight with one other writer. And I was going to be the one other I, writer. I don't even think I would have said that. I, mean, I, I would, I would have even got, gotten mentioned no. to that. No. And, he, and Dave is it's still one of the terrific the nicest man in the business, and you know he goes for his stature. Yeah, for, for stat. Hey, do you want to have dinner with me? That's like, you know, uh, Babe Ruth ask, asking, uh, you know, some one ninety hitter, do you want to have dinner? Of course, I want to have dinner with you. Yeah. So, but Barry, uh, did you did you at any point in time after this whole thing then say to Dave, Hey, are you going to finish that? I, I said to, <laughs> no. I said, I was, you know, the, the most remarkable thing was I was waiting for Dave to pick up the check. And but you know you know what else happened there? We were actually almost in the casino, and 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 pandemonium is broken out in the casino, and you know the the chips are going flying everywhere, blackjack tables are flying everywhere, and there are actually people with the presence of mind to be you know I'm under the table and there are people out there picking up chips, putting stuffing them in their pockets, stuffing them in their pockets so they could go cash them in later. And you know what? Every single one of those people, I believe, was caught. Because there are cameras, cameras everywhere. everywhere, right? And and if you try to turn in to cash in those chips, they nailed you. I believe there was an NBA star there whose name I don't want to mention because I'm not sure who got who got caught. And he he was just he was uh, a Hall of Fame NBA player. He used to play for the Atlanta Hawks, and wow. and it, it just went in his pocket. So so I think that's my moment. Although for pure for pure uh, nine minutes, because the fight went went into the third round before it was stopped. Marvin Hagler, Tommy Hearns. Was it was an incredible, incredible uh, event? It was. You're right about that. So beautiful. And I was there. And you know, called the called the fight. Who's that? Al Michaels. Al Michaels that's, covering the yeah, little boxing. Yeah. How it, about that? So anyway, that's it. All right, Evan. Round three. This is the. You kind of already told one personal one. Is this going to be another one? Yeah. Well, this one's definitely going to be personal. The other one I, I was a personal story that I got to write. This one's just going to be as a fan. Um, because there's something to be said for those times when you can still be a pure fan, and um, there is a, there is nothing in my mind that um, is as clear as the uh, the 1980 Georgia Florida game and the 92 yard catch made by Lindsey Scott with a minute and 26 seconds left that lifted Georgia to a 26-20 win uh, and propelled them on to the national championship. Um, there's a legendary call by Larry Munson, the longtime voice of the Georgia Bulldogs, that uh, I basically can recite uh, word for word. I watch the video every year. It's just one of those moments that takes you back to when you were a kid. I was 15 at the time. takes you back to when you were a kid, and it was a special season and a special moment. And I, I think everybody should have one of those in their life where just as a fan, they have something that really transports them back to uh, just a really happy place. You know, uh, I grew up in Houston, so we had no happy places <laughs> in Houston sports. <laughs> in, in the 60s, there were, you know, we had the Astros, which you know did the annual disaster of Speck Richardson right. trading off great players. We had the Oilers, 
who in the, in the AFL they were pretty good, but it was a minor league. We didn't consider that you know it was not really. Real I used to love the AFL. Well, I mean, not in the early years when the, when the orders were good. Charlie Toller, like in, well, Toller, you know, Char- Charlie Toller lived right around the corner from us. Isn't Did that he really? Uh, and we didn't live in a great neighborhood. Uh, but it was so he so wait wait so so we had a, a a pro football player living in not a great neighborhood right yeah wow. absolutely back then you did no in the early years of the AFL when the when the orders were really good it was still kind of minor league by the time it got to be sixty three sixty four sixty five uh, the orders weren't nearly as good anymore and that's when of course before the merger or very shortly before the merger. And uh, and then the Rockets were uh, – it took them a while to get there in the first place, and then they weren't ever any good either, not in, the, not in the 60s. They were entertaining, but they weren't any good. So I didn't really have <clears throat> any personal memories like that. My favorite uh, memory, though, it, uh, kind of a, it's kind of a two-week story. Uh, my oldest son, Jake, uh, was a quarterback at Hillcrest. Uh, they were in a playoff game. Uh, they're going to play Pinkston. And the day of the game at the pep rally, he was uh, clearly not feeling well. He had kind of thrown up a couple of times that week. We thought it was just maybe he was just a nervous stomach or he was having some sinus problems. And uh, he went to the nurse, and the nurse said, I think you should take him to the hospital. This was at 3 o'clock. So we took him to the hospital, took the emergency room, and, uh, and, they, and so they gave him some stuff, and he seemed to be doing much better. He felt much, much better. And they told us they think he had a kidney stone and he had passed it. Uh, they did not. We asked. We said he was supposed to play in a football game this uh, th- that night, and they and they did not say well he can't play. Had we known what we found out later, we probably wouldn't have let him play. Um, but we we go to the game that night, and of course he's already gone to the game early with his team um, down at Forster Fieldhouse in South Dallas, and um, and he doesn't come out for the first half. So his mom goes down to see to the training room to see him, and he's in there. And she comes back and she tells me he just he doesn't feel he feels terrible, uh, and just doesn't think he can play. And so uh, when the third quarter came, he played a little bit in the first half, but not much. Uh, and then the third quarter came, and, and uh, I, I went down there to see him. And when I went in the room, he was sitting on a training table, and when he saw me, he started to cry. And uh, it was. Very emotional, and I felt bad for him. He was a senior. This was the first year he'd got to start at quarterback. So it was already been a great year for him just because he got to play in the first place. But we were sad that this was determining how they were, how far they were going to go, and, and Hillcrest was losing. He, besides being the quarterback, he was also the punter and the holder on place kicks. Uh, we'd already missed an extra point because the holder couldn't get the snap down. Um, it was tough. So I – I told him, I said, I know you don't feel well, but I really think you should come out here if you can and stand on the sidelines with your teammates. I think it would mean a lot to them, and, uh, and this would be a good thing to do. So we walked out, and we walked down to the field, and I went on up in the stands. And then uh, uh, right as he got to the sideline, one of his teammates intercepted a ball and ran it back for a touchdown to put us in a position where we might be able to win. Jake ran straight out in the field you know, and took the snap for the extra point, got it down, and, and, uh, and then he went into play. And on a third and 15, he threw a 21-yard pass that uh, salvaged a what ended up being the game-winning drive. Uh, and so we, we did win that game, and then we went to Texas Stadium the next week where he had a great game, and we got steamrolled by Rockwall Heath. Uh, it was a great game for a half, uh, and we really enjoyed it. And, of course, Jake thought that, that we, he thought we were going to win all along. I didn't think there was any way we'd beat Rockwall Heath, and, and of course, we didn't. But it was awfully fun to be able to do there and see all that. That's really cool. It was fun. That's that's really cool. Um, I was I was going to talk a little bit about 
My great memory was of the 1969-1970, I think it was, when the Knicks won the the uh, NBA championship. Willis Reed limped out. Yeah. Uh, but I couldn't. I wasn't at the game. I tried to go to the game. I couldn't get in. Um, I don't think I wanted to spend m- more than $6 on a scalp ticket. Tell everybody what you told me about, what, at 13 years old, what you thought about when you well, saw I, Well, I wasn't 13. I wish I was 13 in, that year. I think I was 17. I think it was my senior year of high school. And because um, I, 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 I went, I went. They played the Bucks and they played the Bullets, and I went to those series. And you know, I, th- I think the tickets would sit in the blue seats, and everybody, anybody here from New York would know what the blue seats are in Madison Square Garden. That's that's the nosebleed seats. And uh, I went with a friend of mine, and there were uh, a husband and wife, and a husband and wife sitting in front of us for every week, every game. You know, three weeks uh, as we went through the playoffs. And the wives just talked to each other the whole game. They never watched the game. <laughs> they never watched the freaking game. And I'm sitting there going, when I get older, I'm never taking a woman to a, to a sporting event. Oh, my God. And, Did you believe me? And, and, and I thought that the people in Madison Square Garden should have ejected those, those, those ladies. <laughs> hey, I'm 17, I'm 17 years old, and this is my life. And these people are talking about the latest sale at Macy's for, for four hours. I I, th- I thought that was so disrespectful. You are the biggest misogynist at the Dallas Morning News. Well, that that's when I was seventeen. Yeah. But anyway, I'm going to leave it at that. I I know you wanted me to talk about something else, but but I've embarrassed myself. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to. You're not going to talk about Grace Horn being involved in the okay. biggest game ever. Okay. You know my daughter. I I just want to say this: when you're a sports writer, you're not allowed to root. You're not allowed to scream. You're not that's allowed right. to stand. So when my daughter played high school basketball at Plano West, I was the loudest. You were the most obnoxious fan. I was, and yeah, I was, and I used were. to go up to the coach and apologize for. I said, "Look, <laughs> I, I'm not," a, and I would scream at the officials. I would scream. I would scream at at, at her. I would scream at everybody. And but we that we played in in the the highest we played because I, I I was there. Yeah, sure, it's your daughter. No, uh, they played in the uh, Duncanville High School uh, tournament on a uh, I think it was a Friday night. They played in a five-overtime game. They won. They beat uh, Houston Clear Lake or Clear or Clear. Clear Lake is down south. Clear Houston. Lake. Yeah. They they beat the team 107-105. It, five overtimes. It was the high. I just looked it up. It was the highest scoring high school basketball game ever in the state. Girls. It, it, girls. Well, yeah. It, of course. Is there do boys play basketball? Wow. And, uh, and and Grace had a phenomenal game. And uh, I, in the fifth overtime, she, I just saw, I didn't even remember this. She was four for four from the free throw line. And let me tell you, by that time, we played right before Duncanville played. And I don't remember who Duncanville played, but the gym was packed. And, uh, if, in fact, I believe our sports editor, Gary Level, uh, came down to that game. Wow. To, to watch that game. And anyway, that 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 was terrific. That 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 was it. Um, and Grace went on to a fine career at Trinity University. Yeah, we're which la- is a point guard. Where last year they were twenty eight and two and, and finished sixth in the, or eighth in the. I like. It's really weird. They finished eighth in the country, but I like to say sixth because that sounds better. But it, <laughs> why don't you just say first? Because they didn't. They didn't win the national championship. But they finished. They 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 made it to the Sweet Sixteen, and in the final poll, they finished eighth, and ahead of the team that beat them, which I thought was 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 interesting. Uh, that was interesting. And speaking of uh, that was interesting, I thought this podcast was interesting. No one else will care, but those were our three But this is our first evergreen members. podcast. First one, yeah. So that means that you can listen to this podcast anytime and enjoy it. For the rest of your life. It doesn't have to, it doesn't have to come at a specific point in time. Doesn't ref- we might even change some of those at some point. Change, change our favorites? Yeah. 
Good, right? Maybe, maybe when our grandkids do something. No, well, I'm not changing that one, but I'm going to. I might change the. Might well, change at least one of us has grandkids at this point. What so. what what, what, what yeah. happens? What happens if, if Jake's son does everything Jake did th- then? And of course, Evan and I are very sensitive to the uh, kidney stone reference. Yeah, because no Evan and I have had kidney stones. But what if your grandson does that and wins at Jerry World at stadium you named? Uh, you know, it's an interesting. I was telling Jake that, uh, that we were talking about the other day uh, about his younger brother because his younger brother was also a quarterback for a while before he gave it up. He didn't like football, and he and he uh, he's a really good baseball player, and he plays D three baseball now. But uh, we talked about how how talented he was at quarterback, and I said, "But you know, Jake, here's the thing: it doesn't always have a happy ending. Uh, we consider Jake's." Story a happy ending, uh, even though they lost. Oh, absolutely! Uh, because he got to play and, and finally got to start, and it was and that was that was so terrific for us. That was good enough for us. Uh, so I don't know if you get, you get better than those than those things. Well, Kevin, you know what? I, I went this this June and went to do a story with Prince Fielder a year after he basically was forced from baseball prematurely with that second neck injury and. He, his, his exact words were, not every story has to have a happy ending, and happy is what you make of it. And the fact that you get to share that with Jake and the fact that, that Jake did get to actually go out and play and that his career didn't, you know, with him sitting in the locker room, that he didn't make the playoffs, that Grace did get the opportunity to go to the NCAA tournament, the, the, the Division Three tournament and advance. All those things are, are great are great memories, and it doesn't have to end with with a championship. Absolutely, so, um, and that's a lesson. I, you know, Brad Sham taught me that one. Uh, he said, you know, people think want to always think that unless you win it all, it just doesn't matter, and that's not the truth. You can enjoy all of this. You know, that's the great that thing is, about uh, what we do. It's it's there's there's something in, in everything to watch. You know. And, and, you know, when people talk about the media and, and the, oh, this, they'll say this market isn't nearly as tough as New York or other places. And it's not – to me, it's not a – I don't, you know, I think all that has to do with competition. You know, the, the more competition is that people feel like they got to be more critical. But in this market, I think that we're fair with people. And I, and, I, and I think we do see when something is good and when it's fun. And it's not – it's not all solely about winning. It's about enjoying something as well. Well, you know, the interesting thing is I'm not sure who talk, took the loss worse in Grace's last high school game. It was in the Sweet 16. Me or her? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because an hour after the game, she and her teammates, they were still down, but they were out. They were having dinner, and they were joking around and kidding around. And I'm still bitter. <laughs> <laughs> well, as well you should be. Well, fellas, it's been great. I got to go. I know y'all got to go do the other things, too. We appreciate everybody listening to this podcast. What we, other podcasts? I we definitely got to go. Oh, Evan, you had the, you had the ender of all enders, yeah, Wait, so to speak. But but we also had a great podcast, I thought, with Chris Sims, Phil Sims' son. We did. Who uh, is, is a college football analyst at NBC now, and he told us uh, what he thinks. Of, he works Notre Dame games. And he was very opinionated about that, opinionated about who he, who he likes for the Heisman Trophy uh, or how much he likes Baker Mayfield, although he's not willing to give him the Heisman Trophy yet. And then we, we had a, a great conversation with David Moore about uh, all things Cowboys. And uh, then this, this was a trip down memory lane. Trip down memory lane. Evan, take care of yourself now, okay? We'll talk to you all next Evan, week. Evan, say hello to Dr. Michael Weisberg for me. Yeah, there we go. 
I will. All right, everybody. On behalf of the rest of the the uh, Ballsy Sports say, Podcast, I say bye to Tommy too. And bye, who, Tommy. And, and, Jose, and Jose, who was here. Jose, le- who who left on us, but that's okay. All right. All right. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe via iTunes. You'll get new episodes every week. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Until next time, sports fans, see ya.